everything in our world tends to chaos. So if you let a deck of cards fall, it's not going to fall into perfect order. It's going to fall in disorder. So it's really hard to create order from disorder. It's really hard to take to create creativity out of nothing. I think that's the challenge. I love it that we live in this world of failure and that it is hard work to to sculpt concepts and create great art. Where do great ideas come from? How can I hack my brain to get into creative flow? How do I flick the switch and get ideas on demand? How do I build a workplace culture that oozes creativity? I'm your host, Nicole Velik, Head Ideas Girl at innovation and creativity company, The Ideas Bodega. We're going to dive into all facets of creativity. Welcome to Creativity Unpacked. Hello, everybody. I hope that you're all doing really well out there and staying creative. Last month for me was a pretty big one. I was really lucky to speak at Vivid Sydney again. So the festival came back with a bang after two years of being cancelled, obviously because of COVID. So yeah, it was awesome to be part of it. If you don't know Vivid Sydney, it's a festival of creativity which has three components. So it's got lights, music and ideas. So Lights is where Sydney comes alive with these really beautiful light installations and projections on all of the buildings around the city and you can walk around at night and, yeah, it's just it's awesome. And then the music component is a program of excellent Aussie and international artists. And then the third component is ideas, which is comprised of talks, panels and workshops. And so this year I gave a talk, it was an interactive talk called How to Ignite Your Creative Genius. And one of the things that I spoke about was the need to constantly feed your inner muse with creative inspiration. And there are so many, but I gave five tips at the end of the talk. So I thought that I'd share them with you guys before we start the episode today. Okay, so here they are. The first tip is read a magazine that you would never normally pick up. I think that in life we get really used to the kind of genres that we like. So whether it's a mag, whether it's a film, and uh, it's like, yep, that's the kind of thing I like. And so I feel like the older we get, we get kind of pigeonholed into these genres. And one of the things that I love to do, and it's a practice that I always do when I'm at an airport, obviously there hasn't been much of that the last two years. I am now finding myself in airports again. So if I'm at an airport and I've got time to kill, I will go into the newsagent bookshop and I will force myself to pick up a mag that I would never normally pick up. And the whole idea is to inspire myself, to get inspiration and to expose myself to new things. So there was one time I remember I was working on a particular client challenge and I picked up this magazine at the airport and it was a trucking magazine. Yep, like a mag literally all about trucks. And I actually got a really good idea that would never have come to me if I didn't get this trucking magazine. So yeah, that's my first tip. The second one is really simple, but it's walk a different way. And so often we think that in order to inspire ourselves creatively, we need to jump on a plane and go overseas and, you know, really be out of our comfort zone. But 
Yes, if you can do that, absolutely. But we can't always do that. And sometimes just by walking down a street you wouldn't normally walk down, you can get inspiration. You might see a letterbox that is really beautiful or a tree or, you know, a detail on a house or, I mean, anything. And you never know where inspiration is going to strike. But again, if we're constantly walking the same way or driving the same way, we're not giving ourselves the chance to get that new inspiration. So especially in lockdown, that's something that I did was walk down streets I'd never walked down before and um, really love the simplicity of that one. Okay, so number three is be a tourist in your own city. So again, we can't always jump on a plane and be overseas. And I think that sometimes, again, and I'm, I'm guilty of doing this, where, you know, you go to the same restaurants, you go to the same cafes. And I often say to people, when you go overseas, when you travel, what's the first thing you do? And the first thing is you make a list of all the restaurants or all the museums or all the places that you want to see and you want to inspire yourself. And there's something so beautiful about having that, having that traveler's mind, but when you're at home. And so how do you be a tourist in your own city? You know, think about what are the things I would do if I was in another city in Australia or wherever you are, wherever you're listening from, you know, when you're at home, could you have that same mindset? And what would you do? Like maybe there's a really awesome museum that you haven't been to and, you know, it could inspire you. So, yeah, I love that one. Four is take yourself to a class that gets you out of your comfort zone. And this one I think is really important because when we're kids, we're exposed to so many new things. And then as we're adults, there's this feeling of you don't want to do something because you're going to be crap at it and you don't want to do something new or go in a class where you could look stupid. But there's something so nice about doing this and the willing to just try something and the willing to be crap at it. So last month I took my own advice and I signed up to a painting class. And, you know, I probably haven't held a paintbrush since high school. So, yeah, I felt pretty out of my depth. Uh, there was some other people in the class that were artists and, yeah, like it was it was a little bit scary. But it was a four-week course and the teacher guided us through the phases. And I can't tell you, but I'm actually pretty proud of what I came up with. Like the final painting that I did, I actually like it. And it, it's actually hanging on the wall at home, which, yeah, like that was cool because painting was definitely not something that I thought I was any good at but with uh, the teacher's guidance everyone actually came up with some really good stuff so again just think about like what's something that you know maybe you would have done it as a kid and sign up to a class and put yourself out of your comfort zone do something creative because it's just great you know I always talk about nurturing your neoteny and that childlike quality that exists in all of us and Going to a class like that is a really great way to nurture that that inner kind of creativity. So the last point, number five, I'm yet to try this one, but it's sign up to a conference that's not in your industry. So I have a client that does this. He works in finance and I remember asking him why he goes to these conferences, you know, in farming and the wine industry and medical and like all these conferences that have nothing to do with the finance industry. 
And he told me that everybody in his industry goes to the same conferences, so they're all getting the same information. And what he thinks is that you can get great ideas and creativity by looking at parallel industries, by going outside of your industry. And it's absolutely true. And he thinks that when he goes to these conferences, he can see what issues are coming up and he can see what are the things that are disrupting these industries. And then it kind of makes him wiser and then he can bring those things back and look at his own industry in a, in a new way with fresh eyes. And it's just such a great idea. So I'm putting that challenge out there for everyone. Go to a conference that is not in your industry, something you would never go to and see what happens, even if it's just a day. You know, we can all spare a day. So those are five tips on how to feast on inspiration. And now I would like to introduce my guest for this episode. He is the amazing Emil Reidemeyer. I love how he says his last name, like Reidemeyer in his South African accent. So Emil is the executive director of creative strategy at Vandal in Sydney. So He's recognized as one of Australia's most prolific, creative, new media trailblazers. Vandal, it's an independent creative art and production studio, and he's going to tell you all about it and the work that he does there. He also oversees the curation of the Vandal Art Gallery, which he's going to talk about. Emil recently did a brilliant talk at Creative Mornings on creativity and the metaverse, and I was so inspired. I thought, oh, I've just got to get him on the podcast. So I hope you enjoy the episode with Emil. It was a lot of fun. Here we go. Hey, Emil. Nicole, how are you? I'm really good. How are you going? Oh, fantastic. The sun is out after literally like a month of rain. So I am happy as can be. Absolutely. I know. Me too. Me too. Having said that, we are now sitting in a dark room. <laughs> Where is the sun? Can we go outside, please? Um, but hopefully it'll be still there when when we finish this wonderful conversation. I can't wait to delve into this. We recently had you speak at Creative Mornings, which was monumental. It was monumental. Yes, you're which, right. Um, it was amazing. That was obviously the theme for that month, which you brought to life so well. And Thank so you. many people were really interested and curious to know more about you. And I was like, well, you know, the perfect platform would be to have you back and to be on this podcast. Thanks so, so much. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, you are very welcome. All right. Well, let's get into it. Let's so it. can you tell me what is it that you do now? Yes. So I work at a creative studio called Vandal and my job title, if you want to say that, is Executive Director of Creative Strategy. Now, some of your listeners might be familiar with Vandal and some might not be familiar with Vandal. Basically, Vandal is a media independent creative art production studio with a passion to bridge the gap between art, advertising, digital media, content and culture. Amazing. All right. Well, we are definitely going to delve into Vandal and the awesome work that you are doing there and the gallery oh, as well. Oh, yeah. Vandal Gallery. That's just our passion project. Basically, our entrance foyer, if you want to call it that, is a public art gallery. Anyone can walk in and, yeah, we 
love collaborating with artists. We love inviting creative people into our space. And yeah, it's all about that exchange of creative energy. And yeah, it's a passion project, but we absolutely love it. And you're the curator, right? Yeah. So when we set up Vandal, I really wanted it to be a space that rewards creativity and is a magnet for creative people. And the gallery was just one of those things that gives anyone really a platform to showcase their work and collaborate with other people and showcase it in our studio. And yeah, I absolutely love it. I want to know a little bit more about you. So do you remember, we met a few months ago now, and do you remember the first question I asked you? I don't. I asked you where this accent came from. Do you remember? I was I, like, I, do. I hear Dutch Colombian, or South African. No, South I was American. like... I think I, I think I couldn't tell if it was like German, South African, Dutch, like I named a few and then you are from where? I'm from South Africa and I hear this all the time. When, when I ask people, guess where I'm from? It's usually Colombia, Lebanon, the most random places that I've never been. But um, yeah, I'm from South Africa. My first language is Afrikaans. Um, I moved to London when I was 18, so fresh out of school, um, to, I guess, travel the world. I came back, I studied in South Africa in Durban, which is an English-speaking city. And then soon after, I worked in Johannesburg, and then I came to Sydney. So I think it's just been a mishmash of different accents that kind of has this weird South African twang mixed with all sorts of cultures around the world. I love it. And... I love, and as soon as you said South African, I was like, yeah, now I hear it. I think it's because a lot of the South African people I knew growing up were from either Cape Town or Johannesburg and you're from Pretoria, right? Yeah. So Joburg and Cape Town would predominantly be English speaking South Africans, which would have a certain South African accent. And then Pretoria is Afrikaans speaking and we would have a different accent. So there's all these different kinds of accents within the South African culture. And Never mind that. We actually have 11 official national languages in South Africa. So each of those 11 different first language speakers would have a different English accent. So it's actually quite difficult to pinpoint a South African accent because there's so many variants of it. That's so interesting. Do you speak any of the others? Yeah, I can speak and Wow. I wish, I, I wish one? everyone okay, could wait. see your expression what? on your face. What was that? Well, that's Afrikaans. So at, okay. at, so at school, I was um, Afrikaans, spoke Afrikaans in our house. We got taught English at school, but then we also got taught an African language. So the language that I got taught was Northern Spedi. <gasps> and um, I can speak a little bit of that. I will Go, say- tell me something. Afrikaans in English, which basically means I can't speak Spedi that well. Will you please help me? I can speak um, Afrikaans in English better. <gasps> I'm I'm so in awe of you right now. I'm so yeah envious of people that grew up with multi languages, and I feel like it really does something interesting to your brain. I also feel like you understand culture and people through language. The great thing about Afrikaans is it's called the kitchen language. So basically when the Dutch and the French and the English and the Malaysians and the Indians and all these different cultures come to South Africa, they're all conglomerated into the kitchen. 
and they try to understand each other. So Afrikaans is a mixture of Dutch, German, French, Malay, Indian, etc. So it's really valuable that when you travel the world, you can understand these snippets of words and phrases in different languages that's so far from home, yet your brain kind of puts it together in a strange way. That's so cool. And you know what? I actually know something in Afrikaans. Go for it. Yum, put of it, yum, yum, put of it, stand still. Goeiemorgen, my vrou, hier's a swinkie vir jou. Goeiemorgen, my man, daar is koffie in die kan. Yay! <laughs> so, that's so cute. One of my South African friends taught me that. Is that like a, it's like a kid's. It's like a kid's. It's like a kid's rhyme, but I'll teach you something else. So if okay. you want to say thank you very much, yeah. just say buy a donkey, as in you're buying a donkey. Oh, buy so a donkey. You just go buy a donkey, which means thank you very buy much. Buy a donkey, amazing. Well, buy a donkey for being on my podcast. Uh, buy a horse to be on your podcast. going to ask you about growing up as a kid in South Africa. But before I do, I have a few questions that I ask everybody that comes on this podcast. So one of them is, if you could express yourself creatively when no one was watching and you had the freedom to be really crap at it and it wasn't to make money, what would you do? I would love to make music. Number one, I cannot sing at all. Number two, I cannot play any instrument, but I have such a passion for people that can convey emotion through music. So I would absolutely love to make music. I follow a bunch of these, yeah, let's call them music makers that make electronic music on old analog synthesizers. So it's basically those old 1960s um, synthesizers that was made with tubes and laboratory equipment to make modular sounds. And they connect old tape decks together and they record the sounds of birds and they stretch the tape decks out and they play on these old school modular instruments. And I just feel, well, isn't that creative? You use these different types of analog equipment to make electronic music. And uh, I would I would love to just tinker in a room with all these um, modular synthesizers and create music. I would love to do that, but I'll probably be crap at it. No, well... <laughs> You know, great answer. Well, I think you should do that one day. I love music, so I ask everyone this question, which is, what's your favourite song or favourite album of all time? Now, I would love any listeners out there who actually know this song to get in touch because it's my favourite song. And lo and behold, I when I saw your question before, I looked it up. It's not on Spotify anymore. And it's not on Apple Music anymore, and I don't know why, but basically the song is called That Laughing Track. Um, it's on YouTube, so you can go look at the video, the music video. It's the best m- music video ever. And it's by, a, I guess, an electronic artist called Krukas. Um, Krukas is a Italian DJ, I guess. But yeah, this track is just, there's no other way to describe it bonkers, but <laughs> I absolutely love it. So yes, Krukas and the track is That Laughing Track. Go and look it up on YouTube. Can you like maybe try to sing a bit? Basically. Like how does it go? Basically, it's a sample of somebody laughing 
hysterically and it just <laughs> keeps ramping up and up and up until you think they're going to explode from laughter. I'm not even going to try and attempt that. That would be a great go-to song when you're in a crap mood and you just have to get in a good mood really quickly. That's my song. Really? That's my song. Yep, definitely. See, I have I have that song. For me, it's Golden by okay. Jill Scott. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Do you listen to it often? Um, it's like if I'm, like I said, if I'm in a bad mood and I've got to really quickly speed down get, number get in one, a, like get it. in a good mood and dance yeah. around the apartment, and then I'm like, oh, okay, I'm feeling better now. Okay, so now let's circle back because I got very excited before when you were talking about your childhood growing up in South Africa and all these different languages, which is so incredible. So I want to ask you, Emil, were you a creative kid? That's such a good question. And Nicole, I was thinking back and I can honestly say no. I wasn't. Really? Oh, not at all. I mean, I'm th- I'm talking a young kid now, so okay. six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. I definitely wouldn't have considered myself creative. I was the goody two shoes. I was the teacher's pet. I just wanted to do the right thing. I just wanted to obey to the rules. I wanted to give everyone a turn on the play equipment, who's allowed to play it, who's not allowed to play on it. Yeah, I was that real um Maybe that annoying kid that just wanted to do everything by the book, which is kind of the opposite of creativity because creativity is about thinking outside the box. But for me, it was all thinking within the box and staying with that. That is so mind-blowing because it's almost like you did a Benjamin Button. You kind of- 100%. (laughs) You've gone in reverse. 100%. Most kids are like incredibly like- loose and creative and out there and then they get you know kind of the creativity kicked out of them and it sounds like for some bizarre reason you've gone the other way I mean so that regimented child or the child that was trying to do good and please everyone where did that come from to be honest I really think it was the conservative upbringing you know I like I said to you before I was raised in a very conservative Afrikaans home. It was all about rules, traditions, doing things the right way in the right order. And, you know, on a positive side, that gave me a really firm structure in my life and how to be disciplined, how to work really hard. But I guess it didn't at that point teach me to think different or think creatively, or maybe I was just too young to recognize it. One thing that I was, though, I was very driven, um, I always wanted to give things a go because I would see something and I would go, I want to do that. I want to be good at that. I want to show not so much other people, but I want to show myself that I can do it. And funny enough, I was actually rebelling against the sport, which I wanted to do. And the art teacher at school said, come and hide in the art classroom so that you don't need to do sports. And before that, I've never picked up a pencil Wait, what was the sport you didn't want to do? Oh, athletics. Oh, yeah. So the art teacher said, come and sit in the room to hide from sports. It was kind of cool. And I went and sat there and never picked up a pencil, never picked up a paintbrush. And I guess to kill time, I just started drawing. There was like a, you know, a fruit bowl or a flower pot or something. And I realized, oh, my goodness, I can actually do this. I've never done this before. Now, obviously... 
being able to draw realistically doesn't mean you're creative. But I guess that kind of ignited that flame of art and creativity for me that really changed the course of my life and changed my career and everything from that point onwards. And yeah, I guess the irony is I rebelled against something and that's how I fell into art and creativity. And South Africa was obviously going through a really interesting period when you were growing up in the 80s and 90s. Can you tell us what was going on and and how did that affect you, your creativity? Um, Yeah. Well, firstly, I guess, you know, South Africa lived under sanctions. So all the state media was controlled. So you just didn't know what you didn't know. You know, I never knew about Sesame Street until I literally moved to Australia because it was banned. We couldn't watch it. There was no um, access to media. Remember, there was no internet back then. So you could only really listen to the radio, watch the television and read the magazines that you were allowed to read. So everything that was presented to me as a kid was very controlled. And I guess that's just how you grow up. And I think as you grow up and you become a teenager and you 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 start questioning things is when I, I guess I had the big awakening going, oh yeah, this world that I've grown in, I'm, I've been this white privileged kid for all my life and all this other stuff has been happening behind the scenes that I wasn't aware with. And yeah, it was quite a shock to me realizing that the, the people of authority didn't do the right thing. And I think in me, it instilled a natural sense of questioning authority or questioning things by not just going, let's do it because we are told to do it or let's do it because everyone is doing. I think that's really when I realized, turn around and swim upstream, you know, question things. And to bring that back to creativity, isn't that what creativity is all about, is is to fail until you find the right solution or to look in different places where you're not supposed to look And that's where you find those hidden gems of creativity. And I guess, yeah, growing up in South Africa, I I learned how to question things, which I think is is good. Okay, so Emil, I'd love to jump forward and ask you about what you're doing now. (laughs) Now or now now? So Emil and I were chatting earlier about in South Africa, there's different ways to say now. Right. Yes, it's it's now or it's now now or it's just now. And that's three completely different time frames. So just now is like in between now and now now. And now now is a little bit later now than now. Okay. Makes complete sense. Absolutely. So we're gonna talk about what you're doing now now. Now, now just one now. Now. Yeah. now. Okay, at Vandal. So bring to life for me the type of creativity that you do at Vandal, because I think it's pretty specific, right? Yeah, I think what differentiates Vandal is maybe the convergence between physical media and digital media. The work that we do is grounded in physical spaces, but it makes use of digital experiences to elevate those physical places. Um, The word that I give to it is digital placemaking. So normal placemaking is that you create a space that um, you respond to, but with digital placemaking is you use digital technology to elevate the space that you respond to. You know, what's really helped us in the projects that we do for clients is that we've got this 
digital device that we carry with us everywhere, and it's our mobile phones. And we can use that mobile phone to locate where you are. We can identify who you are. We can use it to unlock augmented reality experiences. And a recent one that we um, worked with Edelman was a project called HP Reflect. Think of it as a digital app that tracks your use of technology. But by tracking your use of technology, it creates a individual work of art that you can look at and you can then judge by looking at that work of art if your use of technology and the amount of time that you use technology is healthy or it is not healthy. So it's kind of that convergence between science, technology and digital art to present the viewer with a work of art that they can themselves interpret. Are they spending too much time online? Are they using Facebook too much? Are they using Instagram too much? Et cetera, et cetera. To be able to put that together for a big brand like HP was a great opportunity to, yeah, I guess just to bring those forms of creativity together that I love working on, which is art, technology, and science. And where did the idea live? So it lives on your phone or it lives on your computer desktop. It's just a website that you can access. And then you answer a series of questions. And then based on the answers that you give for the questions, it sculpts that digital work of art that you can then ultimately see and interact with. Yeah, really different and a really interesting campaign. I loved working on that. I'd love you to bring to life an idea or something you've worked on during your career that you're most proud of. Yeah, I mean, I'm actually going to twist it around. And this is, again, a proposal that we weren't successful in. and. People always say the best ideas land on the chopping block floor. And I think this is one of them. And this one, I'm going back 20 years ago um, in South Africa. I worked at a company called Clearwater Group. And basically, our client was similar to Foxtel, um, a big entertainment brand. And our idea for them was to create this whole new pirate TV station where the normal or traditional station is getting taken over by teenagers. It was a teen platform. You know, we came up with this name that we wanted it to be lots of flavors and a mixture of different things. And the name that we came up was Sushi TV. And um, yeah, we, I just remember working through one night and a second night and a third night. And, you know, we all just pitched together on this amazing idea and we filmed content and we animated it and we wrote scripts and we put the presentation together and, it was the body of work that I look back at in hindsight and just go, we were so passionate about that project. We literally delivered all the creative energy that we could possibly get into that project. And I love that project. I love the creativity of it, but we were unsuccessful. We didn't win it. And um, is that How could f- you not win Sushi TV? How can you not win Sushi TV? Everyone loves sushi, don't they? Yeah, well, it, sushi it, and TV. I mean, it's, it's a natural perfect fit. combination. <laughs> well, you know what? I think, and you see that a lot in entrepreneurship or creativity, is sometimes it's the right idea but the wrong time. It is so much about timing. I think it was the right idea but it was the wrong time. But would I change that for anything? Never. Because in my mind, we solved that creative challenge. We might not have won the pitch, but we created this product that to this day, myself, and I'm sure everyone else that worked on it, is super proud of this project or product that what ne- was never the, exists. What was the big idea? 
Well, the big ideas, I guess, you know, think of it as a South African context as well, that you have a normal TV station and the TV station is getting hacked by these pirate television teenagers that then showcase and create their own content. And remember, this is before the days of user-generated content. Now, we take that for granted now on Instagram. Everyone is a content creator. But 20 years ago, that was not the norm. So we created this content generating platform that gives or gave teenagers the opportunity to submit clips and to create content, which was just unheard of back in the day. But to the point, maybe it was just a little bit early. Ahead of its time. Yeah. Mm, Still super proud of it. That's a shame. And yeah, look, sometimes, you know, the best ideas don't, you know, get bought for whatever reason. Is there any other ideas that flopped that you want to talk about? Uh, my motto is flop until you hop. You know, <laughs> is mean, it really? Oh, yeah, for sure. Flop it, until you hop. Flop until you hop. <laughs> Every idea that. is a stupid idea until it becomes a good idea. I mean, you just don't pull a rabbit out of a hat and go, ta-da, I've done my creative task for today. You fail and 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 you sculpt and you fail until you get to that core idea where just all the puzzle pieces fall into place and you just go, this is it. So every day should be a failure. It's actually called the law of thermodynamics. Mm. Be like really scientific. Yeah, uh, let's uh, geek out. So the second law of thermodynamics is called entropy. Basically what entropy means is everything in our world tends to chaos. So if you let a deck of cards fall, it's not going to fall into perfect order. It's going to fall in disorder. So it's really hard to create order from disorder. It's really hard to take to create creativity out of nothing. I think that's the challenge. I love it that we live in this world of failure and that it is hard work to to sculpt concepts and create great art. Isn't that so much more challenging? Imagine mm. it was easy to be creative or easy to make art. It wouldn't be rewarding at all. So I love the fact that it is about failing, failing, failing until you make it and then you just get that, that immense rush of pride and satisfaction. Yeah, absolutely. And wait, you said that was the second part of the law? The second law of thermodynamics. Oh, I've what's got the first no idea law? what the first law of oh, thermodynamics but it, it, it's irrelevant, so we don't need to know. We just need to know that. Yeah, we just we hop over one straight to number two. Yeah. Second law of therm- yeah. thermodynamics. Yeah. Can't just even pronounce it. Flop until you hop. Flop until you hop. You heard it here first. Your talk at Creative Mornings was on all things metaverse. Yeah. I'd love to get your take on what you think the metaverse is. Um, and then also, you know, what is the opportunity for creatives? Um, it's something that, you know, if you're someone who's looking on LinkedIn, every second article these days is something to do with NFTs, metaverse. I think that if you're someone who's working in creative or in branding and you don't know about it, you're probably feeling a little bit nervous. So what can you help people understand about what is metaverse and the opportunity to get creative? I always explain it to people like this. When I was, how old was I? 16 in 1994, a friend of mine got the internet. And I've heard about this thing called the internet. 
but I didn't understand it. And what is it? And he said, well, you use your computer and you open a browser. And I was like, a browser? What do you mean? And he says, oh, it's this thing with a window and you need to go to an address to go and type in where you want to go. And I just couldn't visualize it. And that's where we are with a metaverse now. We all think, what is it and how does it look like? I've got no idea because it's only getting started. All these so-called experts, they've got no idea because no one knew where the internet would go 30 years ago. But look at it now. It is invisible. It is everywhere. In the same way, the metaverse is just the next incarnation of us as physical beings and digital beings being, I guess, transposed into a new reality of entertainment and experiences and currency and fashion and shopping and real estate. Yeah, I think that's a really lovely explanation. Thank you. And yeah, I like what you said about, you know, bringing it back to when the internet first started, because we all remember what that felt like. Well, not everyone, but people that grew up pre-digital. And, you know, so I think that's like helpful for people to understand what metaverse is and and that we're just in this kind of like awkward trying to figure it out kind of phase and that's okay. The other thing that we mentioned is NFTs. Tell me what's an NFT and and how does that relate to metaverse? Sure. So NFT is just a digital contract, which basically shows digitally that you are the owner of something that something can be anything Mm -hmm. it can be art it can be a property contract it can be a token it can be a digital fashion garment nft just means you are the owner of that now nft stands for non-fungible token and all that non-fungible means is you can't exchange it for something else it's unique great example is i've got a ten dollar note I give you the $10 note and you gave me another $10 note back. It's the same $10. It's fungible. Or I give you a $10 note and you give me two $5 notes back. It's fungible. It's the same thing. But non-fungible is the Mona Lisa. I can't give you the Mona Lisa and you give me half a Picasso back to try and compensate for the value. It's unique. It's an absolute unique product. So NFT is just that unique digital contract that shows you are the owner of a digital asset. And that digital asset can be anything. And in your Creative Mornings talk, you did uh, tell us that you own one. Yes, I do. Uh, I do own one NFT. And it's, it's a really interesting one because I think there's two types of NFTs. There's ones that's digital first. And then there's ones that kind of uses physical artwork to create digital tokens from and the latter is the one that I had or that I purchased and um, it's one of my favorite artists uh, Gustav Klimt Um, a lot of listeners might be familiar with him and I guess one of his most famous works of art is The Kiss and um, the Belvedere Gallery who owns The Kiss made available The Kiss in digital pieces so it was divided into 10,000 blocks and you could purchase I guess, a 10,000th block of the Mm. kiss. The piece that you would be granted was chosen by random. So is it just one of the golden tiles or imagine it's the lips of the kiss or Mm. imagine it's the signature of Gustav Klimt. I got a little gold piece. So I guess you can say it's one of the more common pieces. But for me, it's just 
something really interesting that I now own something digital from a physical work of art that the artist never even knew could exist. And yet I have it. I've got the NFT to prove it, the digital contract, and no one can ever take that away. Is it a waste of money? Maybe. Is it an investment? Maybe. Can you give us a ballpark of how much you pay for one of these? Sure. It was purchased in Ether, which is um, the currency for Ethereum. And at that point in time, it was uh, $1,500. So, yeah, it's a lot of money for a tenth thousandth of something. When did you buy it? They released it on Valentine's Day. So it was part of a Valentine's Day. That's Um, so sweet. And I guess… This year? This year. From a value point of view, I looked the other day and you can kind of track the value of your piece and the piece has doubled since… Um, so it's worth $3,000 Since February. Yeah, since February. It's a pretty so good okay. investment. Oh, yeah, no, that's good, but I'll, I'll hold on to it. It's, I guess it's just me dipping my toe in the water and mm-hmm. going, I love the artist. It's kind of something that I believe in. I'm going to buy it. Let's see what happens. What do you think the opportunity for creatives is in this space or brands? What an amazing opportunity for creatives now. The big problem with digital media has always been that it can't be protected, that when you create a digital work of art or a digital song or a digital image, it can't be protected. It can be copied, which means it's valueless because you can just do whatever you want with it. But now for the first time, people can own digital assets and um, that gives value to it. More and more, I think people will be moving away from owning physical assets to owning digital assets. Because you can take digital assets with you anywhere. It doesn't weigh anything, doesn't weigh you down. It, you don't need to move it. You doesn't don't need a password dust. for it. It doesn't collect dust. <laughs> um, yeah, more and more our worlds are becoming digital. And you and I, we are dinosaurs when it comes to this digital world. Imagine the kids that's growing up now. They're growing up in a digital world. For them, digital items have more value than physical items. And I think, oh, how interesting would it be 100, 200, 300 years from now, what all of this has become? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, from my understanding, the cool thing is that if you're, if you're an artist and you create a NFT and then you sell it, and then depending on what's in that contract, every time it's sold, you as the creator get a percentage and you know, that's where I think there's a real opportunity for artists to make money from their work. Yeah, you get royalties get paid back to the original content creator. I mean, it's all great that all these beautiful physical works of art are selling for enormous amounts of money, but that doesn't do anything to the artists who create it. They don't get the money from it. With um, blockchain technology, you can track down, you know exactly who owned what, you know it's authentic, and um, those royalties go back to the artists. Um, I've, I've read a couple of articles about how um, music artists are now choosing to release their songs as NFTs rather than on Spotify. Because wow. now you can purchase a part of that song. Say you, you mentioned your favorite song before. Imagine you can purchase a piece of that song. And because you own a piece of that song, every time that song gets sold, you earn a little bit of money on that song. That means the artist gets more commission and then you as the content person who enjoys it also has 
a finger in the pie and um, get paid for your investment. Strange thought, but it's it's really interesting. Really disrupting a model that needs to be disrupted because there, there are way too many incredible artists who are not getting paid by companies, you know, your Spotify's and your streaming services where it's like, I don't know, it's like 0.001 of a cent exactly. or I don't know per listen, exactly. I don't know what it is, but this is such a innovative way to, you know, bring the power back to the artist. It's the middleman who earns all the money, not the original content create. And I think that is why this is changing it so much or upsetting it so much. Have you seen any brands jump on board? Oh, have I not seen a brand that doesn't jump on board? What are some great examples? Well, a great example is um, just last week, it was the very first Metaverse Fashion Week. So it was the first time that there was a digital only fashion week within the Metaverse called Decentraland. And there were a lot of brands there, Dolce & Cabana, Gucci, Plain was there, one of my favorite uh, men's designers. And keep in mind, this is not real products. This is digital only products. And like, okay, because my brain starts boggling here because I'm going, all right, so just to bring it to life yeah. and I'm going to sound like a bit of a no, novice. No, and it's funny because in my last episode, we kind of dived in here and I feel like I'm educating myself um, through my podcast. So- I go to Decentraland yep. on my computer. Sure. Yeah. And there's a fashion show. Yeah. Are there is is it real people walking? Is it like Yeah, avatars. So each person the, is a representation of a real person. So are, are they are they an, an avatar is like a digital Yeah, digital identity. It's like your Facebook it, profile is your digital identity. But it's moving. It's like yeah. 3D if, or if I had yeah. some kind of... Think of it as a little computer game. There you are running around. Okay. And But do the people look real or do they look like funny little... They look like funny little... Robots <laughs> wearing Gucci. Yeah. Oh, just, I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> well... I, I mean, wouldn't you wait until they look like fashion models? Well, so sure. it's like a little uh, robot person wearing a little... Yeah. Good. I just. Well, I'll, or I mean, is the technology that good digitally that it looks really? No, it, it's it's stylized. It doesn't look fancy. And again, I'll take you back to thirty years ago when the internet started. Remember that slow moving pages. Remember that sound mm. a modem made mm. whenever you had to dial up through your telephone line. It was clunky. It wasn't set up. It was slow. Um, the browsers were slow. It was clunky. at these funny GIF animations. It was not good or interesting to use, but that was the start of a revolution. All that this is, is it's a start of revolution. It's clunky. It is lo-fi. But is that not, is that not detrimental to a superior brand like a Dolce Gabbana to be involved in something that looks clunky and doesn't, do you know what I mean? Is that a bit of a... As, problem for the brand? As a fashion designer, you work within the constraints of the material, the fabric, the equipment that you can produce. So the the garments that Dolce & Cabana or Gucci produced 50 years ago is different from how they produce it now, which is different of how they produce it in the metaverse. I mean, these aren't stupid brands run by stupid people. These are smart brands run by smart people. And they can see the writing on the wall, and that is that people are spending their money digitally, not necessarily physically. 
So they can either do nothing or they can do something about it. Think about sustainability, the difference between digital fashion and physical fashion. There's a massive difference there. Digital fashion is, for argument's sake, 100% sustainable. It lasts forever. It never deteriorates. Where physical fashion doesn't last forever, it does deteriorate. I mean, that's just an interesting question in itself. What does it mean for the future? Your garment lasts forever. Yeah. <laughs> I can see the blank glaze in your eyes. Hey, no, I don't I, understand it either. Yeah. I, I'm not even pretending that I don't understand. So, okay, so when they had this fashion show yep, in Decentraland, did yep. were there were there also digital buyers sitting there? Yep. yep. Like, okay. You can purchase a um a garment. And it's digital only. It's not a representation of a physical garment. Okay. It's digital only. Yeah. And I guess you can then wear it as your avatar in Decentraland mm. if you choose to. Yeah. You've got the contract, the NFT, to show that you're the owner. You can sell it to somebody else or you can keep it. Okay. And what about for any listeners, if they want to jump in this space, what would be like step one or what, what could they do? Well, I guess for me, I'm just really interested in it. I've always been interested in fringe technology. So I just read. I read articles. I subscribe to newsletters. I follow people on YouTube. I listen to podcasts. I think like anything, if you want to get a good um, all-rounded source of information, you have to listen to it from all ends. Never get your information from one source because it is just one source. Get it from opposing sources. Get it from people that think it is rubbish and get it from people that think it is the future and get it from people that's in the middle. Because I think that's how you gather the real information is to be able to look at a concept from all angles. So, yeah, I just say go online, Google articles, and, yeah, it will open up a um, Pandora's box of information for you. How do you get your inspiration for your creativity? Yeah, that's a great question, Nicole. I don't get my inspiration for creativity from creative sources. I don't get my inspiration for design from design sources. I don't get my inspiration for architecture from architecture magazines. I think real inspiration comes when you connect to seemingly opposing and irrelevant ideas to each other. You know, if you're looking for fashion inspiration, look at nature. If you want to look at design inspiration, uh, look at fashion design. I think, yeah, never look in the, the same source and think you're going to find something different in there. You look elsewhere, look outside of your box, look at something completely different that you've never looked at before. And I think that is when your brain puts one and 500 together to make 7,300, a new idea. Yeah, don't be ruthless in where you gather your information from. And it's just everywhere. Don't limit yourself to the same blogs, the same podcasts, the same information that everyone consumes. What's some examples of things that you go to? I love just to walk through an art gallery. What's the best exhibition you've ever been to? Mm, that's a really good one. I'll tell you what. I was a young punk, 18, 
18 years old. And I said before, when I finished school, I was the man from schoolies and I got on a plane and it was the very first time I left South Africa and I arrived at London. Got no idea why I did this. Any case, because I love art galleries, I went to um, Tate Modern and I just spent the day there and I just felt depressed and lonely. And I just remember I sat down on a bench in front of a big Mark Rothko painting and I've learned about this work of art and I've seen it in my, um, my school books for that matter. But to finally sit in front of it and just be overwhelmed by emotion, I, I started crying. I was overwhelmed by the simplicity of the two colours of the Mark Rothko piece. Do you remember the colours of the specific piece? I'm probably just going to guess when I say now, but I think it was yellow and green, but don't quote me on yeah, that. Yeah, they, they do have such an impact. I love Rothko. So, Emil, for anyone listening that's feeling a little bit creatively uninspired and is looking for a bit of a creative challenge, something that will just awaken that inner creativity, yeah. what advice do you have for them? I My advice is challenge yourself and put yourself out of your comfort zone. People always say, oh, I can't draw, go and buy pencils and draw, or I can't paint, go and buy canvas and paint and paint. You'll surprise yourself. Um, a lot of people are scared of public speaking. Go and apply and talk in front of people. You know, you'll be surprised when you break down the barriers that you've put up for yourself in your mind, what you can achieve. And that's how, you know, you can be creative by challenging yourself, taking a different route and doing something that really unsettles you. But it doesn't have to be bad. It can be a challenge that you overcome and you'll be surprised what the outcome of that is. Challenge yourself. And then like embracing the failure or embracing oh, the 100%. just being, and, and, being crap at and it. And allowing failure. I mean, who defines failure? Failure doesn't exist. Failure is just a stepping stone mm -hmm. to success. Um, there is no such thing as failure. Do you know what, Emil? I remember the first time we met and we were talking about the theme for Creative Mornings yeah. being monumental. Yeah. And every time we have Creative Mornings, there's a name tag where people, when they come to the door and they write their name down and you know where I'm going with yeah, this. Yeah, I know and, where you're going with and, this. And then um, there's always a question and I was like, I wonder what the question could be, something about monumental. And then you came up with the question yeah. that we used, which was, um, a time you had a mon monumental failure, failure yeah. and you made me laugh because yeah. you did reveal something that was kind of hilarious. Yeah. It, it is hilarious, um, but not in a ha-ha kind of way, more like in a bah-ha-ha kind of way. What was it? Well, as you know, when you're 16, you're very smart. And um, I met a girl and, you know, when you're 16, you obviously meet the love of your life. And um, we thought it was a really good idea to, <laughs> to, 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 to <laughs> I'm laughing now, to tattoo each other's names on our hips as 16-year-olds. Because, I mean, after all, we're meant to be, we're going to last forever. We broke up two weeks later and I still have the tattoo. So yeah, monumental failure. Monumental. So yeah. embrace, go and, go and get a tattoo. Yeah. Flop until you hop. <laughs> Flop until you hop. Well, okay. Perfect. So that brings us to the end. So oh, this was lovely, Nicole. Oh, Thank you. Very, very quickly. 
I always end on these three questions. So, Emil, tell me, why is creativity important in individuals? It defines you. It's in your blood. Humans cannot exist without it. Since the dawn of time, we've made rhythm, we've danced, we've created our handprint on the rock walls, art, creativity. It's in us. You can't live without it. Don't fool yourself. (laughs) That was a very passionate answer. Okay. And now I wonder if you're going to be equally as passionate about this question. Why is creativity important in workplaces? Well, to not just accept the way things are and to do things differently. If we just accept the way things are, we would just be stuck 10,000 years from now. But it's because we challenge things and we do things differently. Um, Why is it important in workplaces? Because it makes a difference to be creative, to do things differently, artistically, it uh, doesn't matter what job you're in. doesn't matter if you're an accountant or an art director or copywriter or whatever. You can still be creative. creative. Creativity is a way of thinking, not a way of execution. You don't have to be able to draw to be creative. Creativity is about asking questions and by uncovering um, solutions and new ways in unexpected manners. And finally, why is creativity important? in our world because it touches your heart and your soul and your spirit and that brings us to the end that's so thank you thanks so much and where can people find you oh yeah so um i guess um i'm on the linkedin emil rademeyer um try spelling that um if you rademeyer rademeyer um um, yeah, just email at vandal.sydney if you want to email me, uh, E-M-I-L-E at vandal.sydney. Love to hear from you. Um, if you think I'm talking rubbish, please email me and tell me that. I'm always open for constructive criticism. If you have another question, get in touch. I just love meeting like-minded people and even unlike-minded people because that's how we challenge ourselves and mm. that is how we uncover new thoughts and ideas. Mm. So please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Nicole. And we'll have to do this again. We did we did have the idea to do this podcast with both of us speaking in a South African accent. You know, in, in Afrikaans, we say we, we pork the car and the car pork. And in Australian, you say we park the car and the car park. But what the listeners don't know is that I can also do a South African accent. Yeah, because you're English speaking, but I'm Afrikaans speaking yeah. from Pretoria, you see. And I, I like rugby and biltong and things like that, you see. And you like like fashion and <laughs> things like that. And I think we'll end it there. Yes, let's end it there. Thank you so, so much, Thanks, Emil. Nicole. Thank you for all your thoughts and all your wisdom and just sharing so generously with me again. Oh, a pleasure. Lovely to chat to you, Nicole. Let's do it again. Thank you very much for having me. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in. To make sure that you never miss an episode, head over to Apple Podcasts and hit subscribe. And while you're there, please leave me a quick rating and review. I hope that you have found this episode inspiring and taken something out of it to help you get creative. If you do, let me know. Until next time.